Well, my wife asked me a question the other day while we were watching the finale of Survivor, and this kind of caught me off guard because if you don't know the context of a question, um, you can actually misunderstand what the question is for. So she, she, she just interrupted this, this during a commercial and said, hey, honey, um, do you have gas? I said, um, because tomorrow the prices at the pump are going to go up for Memorial Weekend. I said, oh, yeah, I think my car's like quarter, quarter tank. I better fill up tomorrow. <laughs> See, we're all experiencing this with the, with, the, with the cars, right? Gas is like 30% higher right now than it was a year ago. But the, the problem is it's something we rely on so much. We are a fuel-hungry culture. We need our fuel. And so we need gas in our cars. It doesn't matter how much it costs. We're going to put gas in the tank. And unless you're brave and get out your bicycle and pedal somewhere or walk, um, we still are going to drive our cars. Uh, because we need the fuel. And it's amazing that that, that fuel can drive this, these massive vehicles with, um, with steel and rubber and just the ignition of them in, a, in an engine can propel one at, at uh, you know, legal speed limits and beyond. So um, it's powerful what we put in our engines. It's also powerful what we put in our bodies because when you leave here, you're going to fuel up your bodies with food because you need fuel in order to live out the life that you live, do the jobs that you do. You need, you need something to sustain you, to empower you. But I wonder if we ever consider that our souls need fuel, that there is a part of you that gets very weak and tired, and if we neglect it, can, can actually atrophy, can, get, can be damaged because we're not feeding the soul. And over the last several weeks, we've been going through the book of Ephesians and Paul sets a standard pretty high. He says, here, here are all these characteristics of your old life. Put them off and then put on the new life. But it's not just that easy. It's not like, okay, I used to be a liar, now I'm not. I used to be unkind, now I'm kind. I used to have a foul mouth, now I have a clean mouth. You know, I used to get, be a hot-headed person, lose my temper. Now I'm patient. And, you know, these things don't come easily. It, it, it takes a, a lot of work. And in our Christian lives, if we don't realize that, we can get very discouraged because not only is it difficult, but we have three huge forces working against us. You have your own inner nature that doesn't want to do God's will for the most part. So you're going against your own nature. You're going against the culture because many of the things God wants to do in our lives is different than what the culture wants to do. And then you've got this spiritual enemy called the devil and his minions who are trying to derail you from doing God's will. So all of these forces working against us Make it very difficult, but God says, you're not in it alone. I'm going to give you power to do the things I ask you to do. This power comes through the person of the Holy Spirit. And I believe today, for some of you, may be a very critical day because, because the Holy Spirit's kind of a mystery to you. You get the Jesus thing. You know how much you need Jesus in your life, and you get that. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we feel sometimes like, I can, I can get by if I don't understand him. I can get by even though I don't understand what the Holy Spirit's doing in my life, but I, I'm here to tell you, you can't. The Holy Spirit is very essential for your work with the Lord. You need the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And so as we go into Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to talk about a subject that I think is one of the keys to Christian maturity. So if you have a Bible, you could turn with me to Ephesians 5. Paul writes in verses 17 to 21 this. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul says here something that I think is very amazing. 
He says, don't be, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And here's, here's the first thing you need to, to know. God's will isn't mysterious. You can know it. If there's one question that comes up again and again in Christian circles for people that are following the Lord, it's, I wonder what God's will is for my life. And it might be in a particular situation or in a grand scheme, but I really want to know God's will for my life. And Paul tells us here that you can know it. I mean, he wouldn't tell us to understand the will of the Lord if we couldn't know it. So it's not a mystery. It's something God wants to make known to us. But you need to know that the will of God uh, can be divided into two different kinds of the will of God. There is the general will of God, which is for all people, and the specific will of God, which is for us as individuals. Now, if there's anything you need to know in life, if you're a believer, it ought to be to know God's will. We've got kids graduating this month, and they're going on, some are going to college, some to, to jobs, some to the military. And their heads have been packed with knowledge for 12 years. But, but there's one thing, of all the things we should know, that's more important than anything else. It's to know God's will for your life. But if we can raise up our children to know God's will, we're going to set them on a great course. And God has a general will that really applies to everybody. See, God's general will is revealed very clearly in the Scriptures. It's for everybody, and it's revealed in the Scriptures. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what generation you lived in. It doesn't matter what your ethnic background is. It doesn't matter. It's the same for everybody. For example, God wills that you come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ and be saved. That's true for everybody. It's God's will that you repent of sin, that you surrender to the Lord. It's God's will that you are baptized. It's God's will that you become part of a local church. It's God's will that you serve him. It's God's will that you give. It's, it's God's will that you testify to what Jesus is doing in your life. That's true for every believer. So it's true for all of us. It's, it's God's will. There's, there's God's will for husbands. It's true for every husband, for God's wives, for children, for employers, for employees. It's, it's the same for, for anybody in those situations. It's God's general will. His will uh, speaks to our character, how we respond to criticism, how we respond to enemies, what we do when someone sins against us. It's the same for all of us. Same for all of us. So there's a general will of God that applies to all of us. But the problem is, oftentimes, we say, well, I don't want to know that will. I want to know the specific will. What about me? What about me? Well, well it is about you. All that stuff I just said is about you. And the, and the problem is, until we obey God's general will for us, I don't think he's real interested in, in revealing his specific will for us. I mean, if you're not going to do what God says very clearly to do, why would he give you something very specific to do? Kind of like what Amanda was sharing in her life. Why would God reveal those precious things when you're not doing the big things? But when you, when you do the bigger things, when you do the things that really apply to all of us, you then position yourself for God then to reveal his specific will through his spirit. And that's something that's very specific to your unique situation, your unique personality, your unique place and time. It's very unique to you, and there's no way the Bible could, could give that. I mean, there's 8 billion people on this planet. God's will for 8 billion people individually will not be in this book because you face all kinds of situations daily. You know, what job should I take? Who should I marry? Where should I live? All these different things. There's, there's all kinds of situations. And God wants to speak into more situations than probably we give him credit for. It's kind of like an internal GPS system. You know, when you got your GPS on or you, or you use your phone and, and you got MapQuest running and it says, okay, in 100 feet, turn right. Well, it's kind of like that. There's a gentle voice. It's not audible. It's gentle. It's maybe a whisper, maybe a prompting that directs you. Sometimes, sometimes the Holy Spirit says, don't go there. Turn that off. Set that down. Close the refrigerator door. Keep your mouth, keep your mouth quiet. 
Don't let those words get out. You know, all these kinds of things because the Holy Spirit is interested in us honoring the Lord in everything that we do. I mean, there are times you could stand in front of, in your wardrobe. And I've had this happen, maybe not as, not as much as some of you, but if you stand in your wardrobe closet and ask, God, what should I wear today? I can promise you there are things that you'll say, should I wear this? He goes, uh-uh. I don't want you wearing that in that setting. That's too provocative. That's too revealing. That's too inappropriate for this situation. That looks really good. That's perfect for you. Wear that. I mean, there are times where he will confirm that. You could stand in front of the refrigerator, stand there, Lord, what should I eat? He goes, nothing good in there. Oh, really? You know, close it. Because, because he's interested in our physical health, our emotional health, and our spiritual health. So God wants to speak specifically into situations in our lives, and he speaks with wisdom. The Apostle Paul, if you've been following in Acts, as we've been reading through Acts, many of us have been doing that, uh, chapter 16 of Acts says Paul wanted to go to a certain region and preach uh, about Christ, and it says he was stopped by the Holy Spirit. So he said, okay, we're going to go over there. And then it says the Spirit of Jesus kept him from going there. So the Holy Spirit put up two blocks, and then he got this vision of a man who says, come on over to Macedonia. He goes, I think I should go to Macedonia. Goes to Macedonia, and God does some incredible things in the region like of Philippi, the book of Philippians. That whole region was where the Holy Spirit was trying to get Paul. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will say, not that job. Don't marry that guy. Don't go to that school because he's trying to direct your path. Other times you'll say, yes, this is where I want. And honestly, there's sometimes I think God doesn't answer because, he, because his, his feeling is either one's good. You make the choice. You make the choice. Use your own will to make the choice. I'm going to give you freedom to do that. God's will is not a mystery. He wants us to know it. But here's the key, not just knowing God's will, but be willing to do God's will. And that's also where we need the Holy Spirit's help. I I not only need the Holy Spirit's help to to show me what to do, I need the Holy Spirit's help to help me do it. I mean, if, if God's through his Holy Spirit said, okay, I want you to sell everything you own and go to India as a missionary, you go, I can't do that, I know. You need my help to do that. God will, God's will will direct you on a path that you cannot accomplish on your own. So Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, he says very clearly, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. His will for you, for all of you, is to be filled with the Spirit. Now, this had specific meaning for the Ephesian believers because they lived in a culture that relied on alcohol a lot. The worship of the god Dionysus, which was the god of the grape harvest and the god of wine, their worship of him involved a lot of drinking. And when they drank a lot, they got a little tipsy. When they got tipsy, their inhibitions came down, and they engaged in a lot of promiscuous activity with temple prostitutes and other things, orgies, all kinds of weird, bizarre behavior. And they thought these experiences were religious. When I was a boy, we had a a wine store, a liquor store in our community, and it said the house of Bacchus. Well, Bacchus was the Roman name for this Greek god, Dionysus. And in my hometown, if you've been to Wisconsin, beer is a big thing there. Alcohol is a big deal. In fact, I think it's too big of a deal because there are more bars on corners than Starbucks. And in my hometown, little, little town, Milton, in our hometown, every summer, the big event was the 4th of July festival. So there were about, usually about three or four days every summer where we'd celebrate the 4th of July. On the actual 4th of July, we would have this big parade with, you know, the marching bands and the tractors and uh, the military marching and clowns throwing candy out. I mean, it's still that way today. 
And then people would go over to the fairgrounds, which is at one of the schools. There'd be carnival rides. And in the middle of, of the, the, the carnival area was a beer tent. And the beer tent was where the adults hung out. And so when I hear some of my friends say, hey, we're all going to meet at the beer tent. I went, really, still? All these years later, that's the big hangout? In fact, in high school, I'd, I'd hang around the beer tent on the outside because I couldn't go in. But I'd watch people come out, and sometimes guys would be fighting. People would be throwing up. And I thought, and this is the highlight of summer? Really? So it's sort of amazing me today that people still say, hey, meet you at the beer tent. I went, really? There's more to life than this. That's what Paul's saying. You guys, your life revolved around losing it with alcohol. And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't compare to, be, to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's one, one main comparison between the two. And that when you drink a lot of alcohol, you, you come under the influence. We even use that phrase, under the influence. You become under the influence of alcohol and you do things you wouldn't normally do. In fact, you can get arrested for driving while under the influence. But you can get blessed by living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. If you live under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he will influence your thoughts, your, your feelings, your attitudes, your behaviors. And so Paul says, don't, don't resort to that. Be filled with this. Because it's very different. I mean, alcohol is a substance it's a, it's a, that you can put in a bottle. The Holy Spirit is something that a bottle can't contain. It's not a substance. It's a person. A person who comes to walk with you and work with you. Uh, the, the, the alcohol is a depressant. The Holy Spirit is a stimulant. It will actually activate you to want to do good things for God. Amen. You know, the, 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 the alcohol has so many negative qualities. You'll, you'll lose control where the Holy Spirit causes you to gain control. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So they're very different in, in what they, how they function within our lives, but the one common denominator is they both can influence behavior. So he says, be influenced by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see that in many individual lives. Like Jesus, um, the, the day after Jesus was baptized, or at least shortly after, he was baptized by John in the Jordan. It says the Holy Spirit came on him like a dove. It says right after that, Luke chapter 4, verse 1, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. What happened after he was baptized by John, the Holy Spirit came on him? It says he was full of the Spirit. What happens when you're full of the Spirit? You get led by the Spirit. Where did the Holy Spirit lead him? Into the wilderness to do battle with the devil. So God works through the filling of the Holy Spirit. We saw that all through Jesus' ministry. He, he ministered in the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And then you find individuals at times, hum, you know, regular people like us, who at moments were filled with this incredible experience of being filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John heal a lame man. They preach about him. They get arrested. They get warned not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. They come back to their little church community, and everyone says, well, we got to pray. So they pray. They praise God, and they say, God, stretch out your hand and perform signs and wonders through the name of your servant Jesus, and give us boldness to preach your name. And then this is what happened. It says in Acts chapter 4, and while... uh, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I mean, the whole place was shaken. And then we go to Acts chapter 6. Here's the next incident. Early church is growing, uh, hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people, and there are a lot of the widows who are being neglected. And so someone said, hey, these widows aren't getting fed properly. They're getting ignored. And the apostles said, we need to take care of that. But we need to keep our focus on preaching the word and praying 
So he, uh, the apostles instruct the church this way. Therefore, brothers, pick from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Why don't you look among the congregation, find seven men who are full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. Now, how do you notice that? I mean, there's got to be a way to, to, to know. You don't just ask, hey, who out there is full of the Spirit and wisdom? Come on up. No, they look around and say, you know, you know, you know that guy over there? That guy is full of the Spirit and wisdom. You see it. You see it in how he interacts with people. You see it in the decisions he makes. You see it in how he responds to difficulties. That is a guy filled with the Spirit and wisdom. It was very evident before them. And I think that's true. When someone is filled with the Spirit, people will know. And it won't be because they're, 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 they're exercising some unique spiritual gift because you can operate in gifts of the Spirit and still not be filled with the Spirit. Look at the Corinthian church. They were lacking in a lot of ways. They were very carnal in a lot of ways. And Paul said, you guys have all these spiritual gifts, but you're lacking the, the fruit of the Spirit, the love that should go with it. So there's a wisdom. I mean, what, what would happen if our government leaders, our business leaders, leaders of our homes, were people full of wisdom and the Spirit? It would be very different because it would be noticeable. And God, God would lead them in a different direction. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled. This is an imperative. It's an imperative, which means it's a must. It's, it's not a suggestion. Uh, Paul isn't saying, you know, if you guys give time to do this, it'll be, probably want to get filled with the Spirit. No, he's saying you guys need to be filled with the Spirit. What God's asking you to do is way beyond your own ability. You need the Spirit in order to do what God's calling you to do. And see, at moments, it's, it's like we have a lot of the power of the Spirit, and other times it's, it kind of wanes a little bit. It's almost like it's a gas tank that's up and down. I think of, when, of going to a restaurant, and the waitress or waiter comes along and says, hey, can I top off your drink? We need to be topped off with the Holy Spirit because we get worn down, we get tired, we get drained, and we need to be filled again. So he says, he says be filled. You need it. See, I think there's a, a disconnect between having what we need and utilizing all that God has given us. See, we need the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, Paul makes it very clear here. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Meaning, you can't be a Christian unless you have the Holy Spirit. When you open your life to Jesus, he comes to live inside of you through his Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't come like a little midget man with robe and sandals, and come walk inside of us. No, he lives in us through his Holy Spirit. So you can't be a Christian without the presence of the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit resides in you. So he said, he's there. Now, now let him flourish within you. Let him, let him reign within you. He needs to have that because you will fail. I mentioned before how powerful these little devices are, and they just get more and more powerful. My cell phone has uh, 32 gig of RAM, 32 32 gig. Some of you have more than that. Um, I just remember in the, in the late 90s when we, we decided to splurge and buy a Dell computer that was like over $2,000, and we, we upgraded to get two gig of RAM. Two gig. This is 16 times the power of my desktop computer back then. I mean, what's in our phones today could fill a room in the 1960s. And, and what's happened is the more, the more power they put in our phones, the more we find uses for it. 
I mean, we're using it for everything. We're not just making phone calls and taking pictures and videos, but we're doing business transactions. We're, keeping, we're, we're using it for our maps. Uh, we're, we're keeping track of everything. Some people don't even have to use their wallet anymore because everything's on their phone, their credit cards, everything. They're running their, their TV. They're running their, their air conditioning units. They're running everything through their phone. We're becoming more and more dependent, so the power increases. The power increases with the demand. And that's true with the Holy Spirit. If your life has very little demand for the use of the Holy Spirit or the need of the Holy Spirit, you will not see the Holy Spirit working in your life. You want to see the Holy Spirit working in someone's life? Go find someone who's stepping out in faith in dangerous areas. You'll find a person who's walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. When you're playing too safe, too casual, and you say, I don't see the Holy Spirit working in my life, well, that's probably why. Need to be led. See, the Holy Spirit helps us in a lot of different ways. For one, he helps us defeat sin. Romans chapter 8, 13 and 14 says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You need help to overcome sin in your life. And that help comes through the Holy Spirit. We find that the Holy Spirit um, is necessary for witnessing. When Jesus um, sent his disciples to go, and, um, go into all the nations and make disciples, he said, but, but wait. You need to wait in Jerusalem for the power that I'm going to give you that will enable you to succeed in this. See, they may, have, they may have had the knowledge of what to do, but they did not have the power to do it. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Then in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You need that power, and that power will flow through the Holy Spirit. And then we find out, uh, and Paul talks about in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I'm, doing, I'm going through some really difficult times, weaknesses, um, infirmities, uh, persecutions, troubles, all these things are attacking me. But here's what I'm discovering, that, that his power is perfected in my weakness. God's power helps us to endure the very difficult times of life. And that power comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So it's a must. It's not like an optional thing, like I can make it without the Holy Spirit. You won't. You'll get crushed by the Holy Spirit. Then he says, this is for all believers. He's writing to the uh, Ephesian church, and he's, he's applying this to everyone. You, meaning plural, you all be filled with the Spirit. It's not something just for pastors or missionaries or for a significant elite group. It's for everybody. Let me just ask you this. Uh, who, who should be full of love? Everybody. Okay. Who should be full of joy? Everybody. Who should be full of peace? Everybody. Who should be full of hope? Everybody. Who should be full of courage and boldness? Everybody. Well, those are all fruits of the Spirit. So it just makes sense. We all need the Spirit equally. It's something that every one of us needs. So the, the command applies to all of us. All of us be filled with the Spirit. And it's not just a one-time thing. He says it's a constant experience. In fact, the Greek language here is in, um, is in a tense that's, that's an ongoing experience. It's not a one-time deal. So really this verse could be translated, be being filled with the Spirit. I mean, continue to be filled with the Spirit. It's not like you go get it one time and it's going to last you the rest of your life. No, keep being filled. It's an ongoing, continual experience. It's as, it is like a spring bubbling up inside. Jesus, in John chapter 7, um, came to a big feast. And at, the, at, the, at this feast, 
he stood up and he, he made this presentation that was pretty profound in what it meant. He said, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Think of that. Out of, out of your heart is going to be this gushing of water, living water. I mean, it's moving, it's fresh, it's flowing from right here. Wow, what is that? What's he talking about? Well, it says, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was saying, a time is coming when there will be like a stream flowing from within you, and that stream is the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. It will be like, look at this picture here, a stream that bubbles, a, a, a spring that bubbles up. See, I think sometimes we think the Holy Spirit is out here, and I just need to have someone dip it and pour him on me some more. But remember, he's a person. He's not a substance. He's a person. And, his, and, and he really wants to continue to, to fill us and to flow through us and dominate our lives. See, the goal is not to get more of the Holy Spirit. The goal is for the Holy Spirit to get more of us. It's, it's for him to have, have greater say within our lives. So it's a constant experience. When I think about what this means to be filled with the Spirit, here, here's what I think it is. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is to, is to have a continual awareness of his presence, a sensitivity to his work, and a surrender to his leading. An awareness that he's there. I know you're there, Holy Spirit. I acknowledge you. And I sense you working. I sense you prompting me. I sense you leading me. I sense you empowering me for this. I know you're there and I know that you're doing something. And whatever it is you're doing, I say yes to. So if you're leading me this direction, I surrender to that. I will go where you're wanting me to go. Like a man does. I'm going to say what you want me to say. So that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And once that flows, so you move, remove the blockages from it, there's this, it's like a stream. It continues more and more. And, and it really works together with the will of God because the more you listen to the Spirit, the more you follow the Spirit, you more the, under, the more you'll understand the will of God. And the will of God includes being filled with the Spirit. So it's a cycle of, man, I'm, I'm walking in the Spirit and I'm understanding God's will in a clearer way for my life, for my specific life, the unique thing God's wanting for me. And what it does is affect your major relationships. The Spirit's filling impacts your relationships, primarily with God and with others. See, Paul says that It'll cause you to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You'll sing and make melody in your, to the Lord in your heart. You'll give thanks always and for everything to God the Father and in the name of the Lord Jesus, and you'll submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There are two of those. There's four things there. Two of them, re, uh, two of them refer to our relationship with God, two to our relationship with other people. The, the first two that apply to God are these, that you are filled with this joy that bursts forth in song and praise, and then you are grateful in all circumstances. I mean, those are great signs the Holy Spirit's at work in your life. When you find yourself, I can't contain anymore. I've got to praise God. Singing is an expression of what the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives. You want to find a person full of the Spirit, you'll find someone who loves to worship. Someone who's, who has a closed mouth is probably not someone who's full of the Spirit because the Spirit wants expression. And whether it's testifying or singing or encouraging or whatever it is, the Holy Spirit wants a, a voice and he wants to use our mouths to do it. So he erupts in praise and, and he allows us to look at things from a godly perspective to where we can say, thank you, God, for this situation. I, I, when I was reading about Paul this week, Paul, when he was in Philippi, they cast a demon out of a girl and then they were arrested because that girl used to tell fortunes and she made money for uh, her owner. 
And her owner says, I've just lost my source of income. So it says that Paul and Silas were severely flogged. Now remember Jesus, before he was crucified, was severely flogged? These guys just weren't locked up. They were beaten, heavily beaten first, thrown into prison, then locked in stocks to where they can't move. And then about midnight, when you think, oh, these guys got to be tired, they got to be discouraged. No. They start praising God at midnight, singing praise songs. And the other prisoners heard them. Where did that come from? Where did that bubble up from? I can tell you exactly where it came from. The Holy Spirit in them. Allowed them to give thanks. Allowed them to praise God in the midst of horrible circumstances. That's not natural. That's supernatural. Then also his relationship with with other people, he says, um, you will sing psalms and hymns to, to the fellowship, to one another. And if you look through the book of Psalms, you may not know this, but they're not all psalms to God. Sometimes they're psalms of encouragement to, to one another, reminding people of how faithful God is, how trustworthy God is, how God is someone you can go to. He's a rock. He's a fortress. We can lean on him. Sometimes when we worship, we're encouraging one another, stay faithful to God. But then the other incredible sign of the Holy Spirit's work is, is surrender. It's this, it's, it's this submission to one another. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. But naturally, we don't want to submit. We don't. We don't want to submit to anybody. It's a supernatural thing. And we do it out of reverence for Christ, he says, because Jesus himself was submissive to his Father. See, God's trying to do a great work in our lives. But the measure of the Holy Spirit's work in your life is directly related to your need of him in doing God's will. I mean, if you don't need his help... Why would the Holy Spirit help you? Why will the Holy Spirit guide you if you already know it all? Why would the Holy Spirit give you words to speak when you aren't even willing to open your mouth to speak? Why would the Holy Spirit give you power when you're relying on your own power to do it? See, why would the Holy Spirit fill you if you're not thirsty? So you have to have room for him. You have to have space for him in your life. It's when you're in those places of life, you say, God, I don't know what to do now, but show me. Holy Spirit says, okay, now you're listening. God, I'm broken right now. I'm on my knees crying out for you. You've got to come through. Okay, I'll come through now that you're relying on me and not yourself. It's in those times of dependency where God shows us powerfully through his Holy Spirit. You know, when Columbus sailed that journey to find a path to the Indies, people thought he was crazy. Some thought his ship would go off the edge of the world because they thought the, the world was flat. And Columbus felt led by the Holy Spirit to go on this voyage. I don't know if you knew that. He felt led, specific leading by the Holy Spirit to pursue this. And someone in their review of Christopher Columbus said this, and I think this is so amazing. People cannot discover new lands until they have the courage to lose sight of the shore. You cannot discover the new thing God has for you until you're willing to step away from what's comfortable. The pastor named Bob Moorhead led a church up in Seattle area. And years ago, he was preaching on a Sunday morning and after service, some, some lady came up to him and said, Pastor Bob, Pastor Bob, the Spirit was sure moving today. He said, Sister, yes, the Spirit was moving, but he's been moving for 2,000 years. It's just that today, some people decided to put up their sails. Really, that's what the Holy Spirit's asking you. Are you willing to raise your sails? Allow me to be the wind that leads you. Do you know that, that the word spirit, by the way, is the Greek word for wind? 
He wants to lead you. He wants to move you in a Godward direction. You just have to surrender to that. Be willing to go where he's leading. And so if you're a believer, I would say your greatest need more than anything else today is to be filled to fullness with the Holy Spirit. For some of you, if this is all new to you, maybe your greatest need today is, just, is the prior thing. You just need Jesus first. Surrender your life to Jesus. Let him come into your life. Let his presence come into you. And then begin that journey with him.